0: If you've been following anything that we've been doing over the past couple of weeks, you know that we recently launched our Sales Objections Playbook free download where we share scripts for the most common objections that travel advisors face with prospective clients.
1: Last week, we talked about how to articulate your value as a travel advisor, and this week we are taking it a bit further and discussing how you can overcome sales objections with confidence. So to start things off, let's talk about some common objections travel advisors typically face. Hey, it's
0: your travel industry best friends, Robin and Jen from Teak.
1: We're obsessed with practically anything that touches your business and allows you to scale to the level of success that you've always dreamt of. With
0: Robin's background in sales and marketing
1: and Jennifer's experience as a management level HR professional,
0: we grew a small itinerary creation company into a multi-million dollar travel agency. And now we aim to help others skip the hard stuff and get right to the big
1: wins. We're probably each recording this holding a glass of wine, so pour one up with us, grab a seat, and join us to talk all things travel and business.
0: Let's first off talk about what is an objection in itself. So a sales objection is a question in the form of pushback that can make your prospective client or your lead pause before committing to working with you or for the sake of sales terminology, the quote unquote sale. Or even stop the progress of the sale completely. So this is a very natural juncture. I would argue that I think that sales objections are your best tool for closing a sale because it means that you have an educated buyer. It means that they're taking a step back and they're being discerning about what they want to purchase, which to me results in a more committed buyer. And I would, I would want clients that actually object. So it invites an opportunity for me to express my
1: value. Do you agree? Totally agree. It is like a mindset shift though, right? Because we're immediately on the defensive when somebody's, well, but what about this? It's just like natural to be like, wait, what do you mean? Like, what about this? You didn't just instantly love everything I said, but it is, it's a way for you to showcase your value and be like, okay, I understand your point. Here's my answer. Because I think it's the worst when somebody has a question. You're like, let me get back to you on that. Which certain things there are, you can't really avoid that, I don't think. But for the common ones that you get a lot, I mean, that's when it's take note that you need to create some sort of response. Because one person's thinking it, there's tons of other people thinking it as well.
0: In the intro, we mentioned the sales objections playbook, which actually lists out what we believe are the most common objections. And in travel... As a travel advisor, you have to be honest with yourself that travel advising and hiring a travel advisor is a luxury product. It's not something someone needs. First of all, you don't need to go on vacation, it's not a necessity. And second of all, people are able to book travel on their own, whether we believe it or not. Like (laughs) you just boil it down to being honest about what a travel advisor does because someone can go online and they can book direct they can book through an OTA they can find other ways they can book on Airbnb the curse word of all curse words they can they can book another way that doesn't involve a travel advisor we know our value last week's episode was about how to articulate your value to people that don't get it so that is an episode you might want to listen to that first because i think it lays a solid foundation for facing objections the objections that we hear the most are why work with an advisor? Why pay a fee when other travel advisors don't charge a fee? I like planning myself. So why again, why would I work with an advisor if I have fun planning my vacations? And then also like, Oh, my friends recommended XYZ. I think I'm just going to book that. We know if you're listening, maybe some heart palpitations, trigger warning. Like this is, it's hard to not be defensive in those moments because we know the better answer is to work with someone that can enhance all of those plans, can match, make you to a trip so that you are not spending money in the wrong direction. Like I always think, sure, you can have a good trip, but you can have a great trip also. And you might book your hotels on your own, but you're never going to know the opportunity cost of what you missed out on. And that's our burden to bear. Like we know too much. So it is our responsibility to articulate that first. Like I mentioned in in last week's episode, that's how we got here. And then once you actually attract someone into your sphere and they start to ask these questions again in front of you (laughs) in real time, having the confidence to combat those. And for the sake, before we move on, for the sake of conversation, obviously travel advisors also come across pricing objections, which might be your fee, might be the total cost of a trip, time constraints, competition, which I think competition is the OTAs. It is the online booking, or it might be another advisor completely. And then also things like safety concerns. I mean, that was what we were constantly fighting against with COVID and obviously Mexico and other places where there may be unrest, but you know how to do it more safely. And every travel decision is a calculated decision of safety because something can happen anywhere in the world. It could happen in Orlando, Florida. You just never know. I, I say that because I'm in Orlando, but you just never know. And it is a decision that everyone has to make based off of their safety. So those are samples. It's not, that's not a exclusive list. That doesn't mean that. Exclusively, those reasons are what, or those objections are what you're going to come across. But those are the most common, and that's where the download came from. So now, Robin, you touched on this, but how do you adequately prepare when the moment arises that you feel like you've nailed this pitch? You've like presented this pitch. You're feeling yourself. You're like, I know that I've got them in the bag. I'm reading their hmm's and ah's and yes, and their body language. If you have them on Zoom or if you have them in person. Now, maybe an objection comes out of nowhere. It's a little bit surprising. How do you prepare for those moments?
1: Preparing will give you that confidence, like Jen said, like to confidently show up. So what I like to do is when you look through your, even with our services with Teak, where do I find holes? Like if I was totally blind to this service, what would I want to know about? If I had no idea about creating a brand, what would I as a consumer? And right now I know too much, right? You as a travel advisor are probably like, well, I know way too much. That's where I lean on, I don't want to say uneducated, but people who are not from your industry, maybe either a friend or a family to be like, can you look over my website, this PDF of my services and tell me what you would have questions on if you were booking with me. I use my dad all the time because he was like totally inept in the travel world and never liked traveling and only did for business. But the same thing with my business now, anytime I have a big presentation or I'm talking at a conference, He, I always do it to him because he's like, whoa, go back. You totally didn't educate me in the beginning about this. And now I'm walking into your presentation confused. That's what I like to do because you're right. Tackling them on the fly, you can do it. I think a lot of that comes down to truly knowing the value in your services, knowing your unique selling points, and having those in your back pocket ready to go. Sometimes we don't sit down and talk about our actual sales narrative enough, I think, So being able to really have that elevator pitch fresh in your mind, your bullet points of exactly what you do and how you do it so well, what makes you different from an online booking site versus maybe another travel advisor on the market. That's all super important to know when you're preparing for any sales call and using those points should an objection come up that you're not prepared for. Again, we have some already like our common ones are in that playbook for you. Also FAQs. If you look and like you have a little question on your inquiry form, that's like, what other questions do you have that we can address on our sales call? Or like everybody always ends with that common question. Like what Mm -hmm. other questions? Add any comments or concerns or something like that. If people are commonly coming to you with the same questions, whether it's in that form or it's in a DM on Instagram or on a sales call, that's your sign that something's unclear in your messaging. And we need to tackle that objection. So write it down, formulate a response and then add it somewhere or just add it to address it in your sales pitch. Again, I feel like people only consume about 30% of what we do and say anywhere anyways. So you can never say certain points too much, and especially when it comes to your value and what makes you different. So I would always look towards other people, but look at your clients, like look at your customers. What are they already asking you? When you tell your friends you work in travel, what's their very first reaction or response to that? Typically people are always like, oh wait, you're a travel advisor, so weird, I didn't know they were around. Great, that's already an objection that you should be tackling. But I can't stress the importance enough of sitting down with your narrative and really drafting out those unique selling points, cultivating a unique value proposition statement that makes sense to the average consumer. (laughs) That is isn't just fluffy, fluffy, la la, it's actual, hey, this is what I do. This is who I am. This is why I do it so well. And this is why my services would benefit you or any traveler who's looking to either do a niche, whatever my niche is, or looking to travel in general. So another important thing to know about preparing for and tackling client objections is Is as a consumer, you probably have questions about services and products that you buy. So it's natural. It doesn't need to be a red flag. It doesn't need to necessarily be this total bummer. Like Jen said, I think our better clients come from people who we've tackled some objections because all of a sudden they're walking into our processes, understanding a little bit more rather than the people who find us on the website. But we see a lot more friction, a lot more questions along the way when people just like blindly sign, which always sounds good in theory, right? Like we don't want to tackle objections. We want people to just come into our ozone and blindly sign up and blindly pay our fees. But those typically don't have as much information. They're not as confident in their decision. A lot of times you'll see instant buyer remorse. That's very common if they don't have all of their Mm -hmm. objections tackled, because then it's, oh, wait, what did I sign up for? So there are, like Jen said, those pros and just acknowledging that their objections are valid, their concerns, their questions are valid. I think, again, sometimes we're just, why would you ever question me? And it's like, whoa, there, take a step back, we will be questioned, like, that's a very natural part of the buying process. When you're in the consideration phase of the sales process, that's when all of those questions in your mind come up. And this is your opportunity to get those Settled and confidently answered for your client before they're walking in to your process unaware.
0: Trigger warning, these statements are the kind that make a travel advisor shudder. Are travel agents even still a thing? I booked the best deal at Costco the other day. You know, my friend gave me a recommendation for a hotel and I think we're just gonna book that. Any of those sound familiar? We thought they might. That's why we created the Sales Objections Playbook. This free download not only gives you templated responses to the most frequently encountered objections as a travel advisor, but also provides a checklist of items to implement so that you trim down on ever hearing them in the first place. We've been there before, and we know that answering the same questions over and over again can wear on you. This free resource was born out of frustration and necessity. Simply copy and paste these scripts into your communication platform and get ready to approach those objections with ease and confidence. Download your free copy from the link in the show notes. I mean, I think about consuming anything else. So a car, you test drive a car, right? Like that's that's the opportunity for objections. Like A lot of the time people think it's like when you're actually sitting across from the salesman, saleswoman whoever it may be, in the showroom. And it's not. It's, okay, I'm actually in the car right now. I do and don't like this. Mm -hmm. But you're getting to test drive it. With our services, people aren't getting to test drive it. So you have to be incredibly articulate in what you do so that you're providing anecdotes or storytelling or whatever it may be that outlines a test drive give people a story and a test drive. And if someone gives you an objection, then the best way to me is to show and share a time where you face that potential objection in the wild. Why would I work with you when I can book my airfare on my own? Okay, let me tell you why. And not because 24-7 support and like this rote memorization script, it's I want to give you an example because I think this exemplifies how I can help you. And that's when I talk about, I mean, I'm a global first fan. So I'm just saying they've saved me multiple times on reticketing. And I think that having an example where I can say, well, I was on my way to Morocco and somehow my or landed in New York. Flight ended up being eleven hours from wheels up to touchdown because we rerouted, emergency landing. All these things, and in fifteen minutes, I was reticketed for the next day on Royal Air Morocco, which I guarantee I would have not been able to do had I called the airline myself. First of all, there's a language barrier. Second of all, I'm having now to dial an international number. And I'm having to explain what happened. Just having someone in your corner and being able to share with an example, even if it's not your example. For those that are just starting out in the industry, you do not only have to share your examples. You can share a colleague's example. You can share someone's example that you saw on a Facebook group. All of these things can be in your arsenal, but you do need to be prepared. And I wanted to say one more thing about the actual preparation because passion portrays. So if you are caught off guard and you stumble through it, you're inevitably going to come off with some lack of confidence because you were taken off guard. That's not a bad thing, it's just a fact of life. You weren't prepared and preparedness portrays or preparedness what is the what is the saying? Is this another saying we're going to butcher?
1: <laughs> preparedness breeds confidence. I don't think that's right. It's prepared- the like 3 P's or something
0: prepare, uh, failing to prepare. Anyway, it's preparing you to fail. Yes.
1: that's okay.
0: the Something about improper planning leads to piss poor performance. There's like a whole thing. <laughs> so I'll find it. I'll find it. And we'll, we'll have to add that to the list of ongoing butchered sayings that we keep on this podcast, but passion portrays and preparedness allows you to come across in a passionate way because you're passionate about your answer. You know your answer and you believe in it. And when you believe in something, people feel that. That's why Loom works better than an email. It's why Zoom works better than just a phone call. Think of the ways that you create personal connection. And when you're able to stand behind something with passion and emphasis, you're able to articulate it in such a way that is much more convincing.
1: I could not agree with you more. I also think that we spend, and I always think back to when I was in travel, I used to put so much emphasis into my client experience, which is when my client was a client, and like little to no time or effort into my sales process. I would evaluate it sometimes, but that was maybe yearly. Like at the end of the year, I would look at it and kind of go through my pitch and to this day I'm not even sure if I had a fully flushed out pitch, which would have been amazing. Like I don't need to sit there yes. and re- read it slide by slide every time I'm, you know, talking to somebody on the phone. But to just have something in my back pocket that I get to take out and edit along the way or add to, it's something I would have done differently in the past. Because again, it's so much effort on finding people on social media and then getting them and on the client experience. But then there's this, well, what happens when they're in the between, between being yeah. a client, in between that social media, that's the most important part. And that's when conversion rates are, you know, you're supposed to focus on all these statistics and the conversion rates and like so little data is taken of those sales calls so little. Again, maybe this is totally me just saying this and everyone else is like, I always work on my sales pitch. But that's something I wish I would have actually taken the time when I was an agent to take a minute to look at my pitch and my USPs and my UVP and actually create one. Whether I was under Jen at Explorator or on my own as my own boss, it's important because regardless of whether you're under a host, you need to know your own stuff too.
0: One, I guarantee that not everyone listening has perfected their sales pitch. They might be like, yeah, I have a pitch, but it wasn't of intention. It became what you said every time. I'm going to confess right now that I know I had a pitch. I can give you my pitch, but I never wrote it down and actually practice it or even put like strategy behind it. I was like, this is working. So just keep going. Right. And that's, we keep paddling because we're like, oh, I'm swimming. I'm swimming. But just keeping your head above water. Because a lot of the time, travel advisors are just absolutely drowning in tasks and you don't have time. But really, it doesn't take that much time to actually write down your value and how to put it into a pitch. And then just practicing it a few times like you would practice anything else. I 100% agree with you. And if I could do it again, I would also track my metrics so much more in the in-between of, okay, how many calls to close? And that would be how many calls to fee, to deposit, to travel. like That would be a really interesting number. Not that you always have an impact on getting someone to the trip, but sometimes the fallout post-deposit is something that could have been prevented objection-wise, maybe about safety. Yep. When you know a place is perfectly safe, but someone's going to Mexico and they panic and you don't know how to comfortably articulate that where they're going, they're going to be in the best case scenario where they have a private driver that's picking them up and taking them door to door. Once you're inside the resort, you have security, you know, no one's getting to the waterfront cuz it's if it's a private beach or whatever it may be. You should be prepared for those objections if you're selling that destination. And something I had to come up with all the time in times of COVID when people weren't feeling comfortable about going to Italy and I'm like, "Listen, Italy was the first domino to fall, but it surely wasn't the last. You're not any less safe going to Italy now a year post right. you know, pandemic. So I did find the saying. I Googled it while we were talking. And it is – I totally, I totally butchered it. It is from the British Army, but I thought it was actually like a nursing history because I always heard it in healthcare, but it's proper planning and preparation prevents piss poor performance.
1: You didn't butcher it
0: that bad. I mean, I got there. I, I like somewhat got there, but it's the seven P's and then apparently there's another there's another list of 7 p's and its purpose proper prior planning passion patience persistence and perseverance prevent sport performance so I'm like okay. actually that's comprehensive. That's like the whole sales cycle summarized in I think that's twelve piece. <laughs> I
1: don't know why you said it's from the British Army. I don't know why now I envision this British soldier on a horse like screaming that at troops in battle. Like, <laughs> like that is
0: just short. If I had an accent, if I could do an accent, but I don't want to offend anyone that has a beautiful English accent. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I don't want to offend Please. anyone ever, but particularly like when it's something so eloquent <laughs> as like a British accent.
1: We as a community don't use the word piss poor enough. My mom used to use it all the time when we were growing up and I need to get back to that. Get back to your roots, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> that is just, that's the funniest saying to me, piss poor.
0: <laughs> uh, so we talked about preparation. Uh, I feel like I'm like, <laughs> We talked about preparing to overcome the objections, but now actually like strategies for overcoming those. And I think those they're very synonymous at certain phases. But first off, locations where you can actually acknowledge an objection and confront it head on. And I think if you were to say, what's the elephant in the room with a sales professional maybe that doesn't do well? Is that they are not able to confront in honesty what the objection is going to be. So if you are the first one to call it out, you're like, Hey, I'm owning this and it takes the barrier down so much. So in your copy of your website, why work with me? And then actually making it kind of light and being, you know, this is, this depends on your, your brand identity and your formality and all of those things, but. We know you can plan on your own. Why would you work with us? And just calling out exactly the thing they may be thinking allows you to meet people where they are. And it's like, Oh, you know me. And then they feel heard. So same thing with social media, not just your posts because people love a pretty picture, but are they going to read the full caption? Unless you're really great at copy? I don't know. So getting on stories and showing up face to face and making it very real. Like, why would you work with me? How is our planning fee calculated? This is why it's calculated this way. And you don't have to give numbers, but that's an objection to us. Where'd you get this fee number from? Like, what? It, how did you quantify your fee structure? And that can be an objection that you have to face, especially starting out. People may be like, well, you just started. Well, let me tell you, we've said it on other podcasts. If you're just starting out, you still deserve to be paid a planning fee. Being able to actually articulate where you got the number behind your planning fee is an objection you need to get really comfortable with too. And I would say probably more than most other objections because then they're like, you've got them on the hook. They're ready to commit if they're asking that question. They just need some additional assurance. Otherwise, they would have probably ghosted you. And then the next is in your workflow. I mean, that's why we have how we work guides. That's why in the first email, we recommend outlining why work with a travel advisor so you don't have to do that hurdle on the phone. You can get in front of a lot of these objections before you ever get on the phone call so that your phone call is the close. You've got the people, you've gotten them through the hurdles. They might have some additional clarifying questions, but ultimately they've bought into your process somewhat because you've put in boundaries and hurdles along the way and educated them through each step. And now you're able to connect and close. So yeah, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I think that something not enough people add to their inquiry form or their pre-sales call is a question that's list any objections, maybe not the word objections, but list any comments or concerns. And I always formatted that as, So that I can come prepared for all the Mm -hmm. answers that you need from me. That's a benefit to the client. Because sometimes people would like throw you something out of left field. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to try my best to handle this. But (laughs) at the same time, I'm not sure what to say properly. So you just kind of like fumble through and you get to something. And like Jen said, that kind of hurts the confidence piece and all of that kind of stuff. But really making sure that people feel like, hey, this sales call is designed to answer your questions. So to make sure I'm prepared to answer everything you and give you everything you need from me, please list any questions or concerns that you have that I need to address on this call so that we can both walk away feeling really, really good about what was discussed and whether we are the correct partnership moving forward for this trip. Everything needs to be centered towards your client. Like it's all about making sure that they're the focus it's not necessarily about you. It's about them, and it's about their problems and how you have a solution for them. But a lot of times, it's well, the sales pitch is da da It's all about me. But the effective sales pitches and the ones that actually are going to close your clients are the ones that take that and turn it on them. So that's what I would personally do, especially and that workflow piece as well. I mean, if you wanted, you could have a little confirmation email that goes out after the inquiry form is submitted. I think they have that in Traveljoy now, right? Yeah. I forget if someone told us yeah about that. you
0: can do a timed so the workaround there and and not everyone you know uses travel joy so I don't want to harp on this too much but there are two triggers in travel joy and one is from the point of importing a task list and the other one is timed from departure So mm-hmm. the way that we did a workaround is that there's a setting that when someone submits an inquiry, You can set it so that it automatically imports the lead task list, which then you can schedule from there that initial response to go out immediately once that task list is imported. So it's like kind of two triggers that play off of each other, but it's a really great workaround because then if you're out of office or anything like that, the system is still working for you. They're never waiting to get that initial response. And they're then in control to schedule on your calendar after they've read that information. So everything on the front end, if you've been looking for like a Dubsado-esque system that's trigger-based, this is the workaround essentially that can create that. And then once they have the Calendly link, there are some additional qualifying questions that you can put in there. And you said, I love the verbiage that you mentioned, this is a call that's mutually beneficial to the both of us. One, to get to know you, but also for you to get to know us. Please list anything that could hold you back from moving forward. Right. Or what do you need to know before you're to move forward? I love the way you frame that, making it about them because so many people feel sold to. And once you make someone feel seen and heard and that they are the primary focus, you've shifted the game. You've put it in your favor because they now feel like a human rather than a transaction. So I think that's the other thing that we didn't really talk about was approaching objections with empathy. That was Ah. something that anytime a proposal came back and people were like, I really love it. It's not within my price point right now. Yeah. I also am not throwing down twenty k every week on on a trip. Like people need to know that they're not alone in feeling the way they've felt because you're going to go over someone's budget, and they need to know that you empathize with that and that maybe they're not in the season of life to spend that much, or maybe they have different priorities. You actually kind of heavily loaded with luxury hotels, and you're like, I hear you. I knew that you. Mentioned that you know the hotel wasn't as important, but I wanted to show you the opportunity. However, I completely understand, and I'm going to scale those back for you so that we can focus on the activity. Since I know that that's really where you wanted to invest, I didn't infuse enough of me relating in that, but just using you language yeah. is an empathetic approach in itself and it shows that you are listening and they feel heard. And that's when you get ghosted. You're going to get ghosted the second that you don't make someone feel like they're a human. You made (laughs) them feel like a transaction. They feel sold to. And they didn't feel like you took a personal approach, whether that means the product style, budget, or other. It's just it's the holy trinity really is like, do they feel heard? Do they feel like you're treating them like a human? And did you reflect in the proposal, like what was what they actually needed? You really have to like convert that stuff.
1: 100%. And one of the hardest objections I feel like we face is that, well, I can book it direct. And the reason that we typically say, oh, don't book it direct, you want to work with a person. But if you're making it feel like Expedia, where everything is just so robotic and not necessarily tailored to them. I think that's where people will kind of see their way out because you can book travel online. You can book (laughs) travel as a transaction thing. So that's why people turn to travel advisors. And you know, I love workflows. I love automations, but like making sure that every touch point you're sending, whether it's automated or not, feels intentional and has maybe like a little editable spot or something. I think that's where, at least in the sales process, like if you're going to invest time into creating a more tailored approach somewhere, Put it in the sales process versus, you know, anything else. I think. Yeah. The you. Yeah. It's them. It's not about you. It's about them. That's when people are excited and feel seen.
0: My mom, this is a I'm gonna go back to car sales because I think that car salesmen get a bad rap, by the way. They're just doing their they're just doing their job.
1: Okay. I've had some pretty aggressive car salesmen where I'm like, dude, you're doing the most. But for the most part, no, they're good.
0: So I'm gonna toot this guy's horn in Orlando. I found, I found the car online, so I didn't need to be shown the car. It fit everything that I wanted. This is, this is years ago, so long ago that my parents were involved in the car buying process. I was a minor, Um, (laughs) but I remember that this was a big deal. My buying a car was very personal because everyone's first car is personal, right? Yeah. And I worked very hard. I, there was a, a formula my family had basically like, you contribute this much, we'll contribute this much. And they had made that formula so that I had goals to work towards so that I could make it whole to whatever level of car I wanted. There was, I mean, there was a cap. And so I had to make it whole to whatever was one, drivable, two, safe. And, <laughs> and also like aesthetically. <laughs> Attractive enough for me to feel like confident in it, which is now I real realize pretty trivial in comparison to safety. But when you're a teenager, not when you're a teenager. So I found this car online, and we went to meet the the sales manager. He was a gem, and the car was everything I wanted. And my mom was like, "Here's the deal. This is a big deal. If you." put red roses in the front seat the next time we come to test drive it, we will buy the car. She said, this is a sales manager without me sitting there. So that when I got there, it was this very special red carpet moment because I'm making the biggest purchase of my life. Uh And so it was this complete emotional connection to like celebrating this milestone. And also he got to play a role in it. So just think of those things. Like, are you creating these moments that are celebrating milestones or are you treating it like a transaction? Because most likely I would say a young honeymooner, this is probably the most expensive thing they've ever purchased in their life is a large trip. And for a multi-gen safari trip, potentially other than the house or their car or a company, you know, I would say a true like leisure item travel is probably the most expensive leisure thing. That people will ever buy. So it should be adequately celebrated as such. And that doesn't feel celebrated when they're getting canned responses. And I know that's ironic coming from us because we believe in automation and workflows, but also we believe in one, taking our workflow, tailoring it to your voice, and two, not scheduling every single step, actually infusing personality along the way. And then also the ability to create nurture sequences that are tailored to the destination. So there's so much you can template and still infuse personality. So don't say we're like going against what we normally do. But to Robin's point, she said, if you're going to front load on effort to tailor the process, it should be in the sales pitch. That should be when you're actively listening and you're hearing and reflecting and employing these strategies and overcoming those objections. And then you can really lean on a workflow that you've created. But it is definitely a recipe. It's a comprehensive approach. And we're not trying to say take on the world right now, even though that's what we kind of just
1: said. And it always depends on your service fees. If you're charging a very substantial service fee, you should have a more tailored approach. You should have a more personalized experience throughout the process. So if you have trip minimums that are pretty high, I mean, it's time to start leveling up the the aspects of your workflow, but also the sales process should reflect that. It's a little introspective at the same time. I think sales is an introspective journey, which is partially why people are kind of meh about it. It does feel very much I don't know, like judging. Like somebody's yeah. judging you and you're you have to judge yourself a little bit in order to be good at it. So it's an interesting, but there's so many shifts in the sales mindset that that can totally change the game. Like consultative selling versus persuading somebody. You're not trying to, I'm not, I'm not at least persuading you into anything. You do you. It is not my job to persuade you to buy my products, but I'm going to tell you from a consultative approach why I think I could be a good fit for your problems with branding or workflow or whatever it is.
0: I would say, piggybacking off of what you just said, stop with the word persuasive in general in your mind. Stop the narrative that you're trying to persuade someone on the intake call to work with you and use that as a qualifying point and think about it as a mutual selection process. You're interviewing them just as much. When they ask something in an objection format, it can also serve as a red flag to you that this, this ain't it. They, you know, like this is not the person to work with you. So objections are great for you and for the client. They either lead the client to you or it gives you the freedom to lead them out of the process. And if you stop thinking, Oh gosh, I've got this intake call in a few minutes. And I always got the butterflies before an intake call, like no matter what I, it could have been on, you know, Florence and I'd still get butterflies. I just, there was just still like an element of the unknown. You're getting on a phone call and you don't know how a human is going to react and what they're going to ask and all of the expectations that come with it. But what I failed to do to create confidence with myself a lot of the time was All right. Well, if they're not vibing with what I'm putting out there, if they don't like my style, if they don't like the automations, if they don't like that I made them schedule on a Calendly, if they didn't like the inquiry form, if that's not, if none of those are aligned with their values and what they want out of this experience, then I don't want to work with them anyway because there's always going to be friction and I'm never going to make them happy. And they're going to create, there's going to be resentment in the relationship anyway. And I've chosen to do my business in a certain way that serves me. Thank and by not allowing objections to rule how you do your business, you're empowering yourself to feel confident that whoever makes it through your sales intake call, as long as you're upfront, honest, transparent, and you give them an opportunity to self-select out of the process, then you've you've gotten the right client into the mix.
1: Agreed. That was good.
0: Robin, let's talk about how do you get to the point of feeling confident? We've talked about strategies. We've talked about preparing yourself. But what are some techniques, easy takeaways? What can you do, especially if you've recently felt like you're facing more objections? What are things that advisors can do to prepare and to get ready to utilize the strategies we've talked about?
1: My 24-year-old self who is in corporate sales would absolutely hate me for saying this right now. Because we had to do it all the time, but it was role playing my responses and role playing my sales pitch. I think practice makes perfect. I think practice, because ultimately, sales is like if you, the first sell that you have to make in sales is to yourself. And if your pitch is uncomfortable to you, imagine how uncomfortable it is to the outside world. (laughs) So you do need to practice your sales, and you do, I would say, you do need to practice it with other people. So if you're a host agency, great. You should have other agents that you can practice with. If you are not, I mean, I would love to connect people, especially inside of a community like niche or a Facebook group or something, getting people together. And like as travel advisors talking about your sales pitch, like, Hey, I just listened to this episode on TikToks about um, sales pitches and overcoming objections. Would you want to Hear mine and I'll hear yours, and we can give each other constructive feedback. I mean, if you want to get good at sales, if you want to change your close rates, if you want to book more business, you got to practice if it's an area where you don't feel confident. So, taking the time, seeking out opportunities, and seeking out like a network of people who can help you practice and offer suggestions. A lot of times, again, like Jen mentioned, maybe you don't have a great response to this objection. We'll talk to somebody, talk to another advisor that you know and like and trust have you heard this before? If so, how did you handle it? And that's powerful in and of itself. So I think, and again, it's super uncomfortable. I hate it. I hated it. I hated
0: it. Oh God. Role playing literally. I I cried during role playing because yeah, in in a cubicle, I remember the day, I remember the job because mine was recruitment, yours was, was sales. But I remember him being like, no, we have to role play. And I like shut down emotionally. And it was, it was forceful the way that he was doing it. And it, I actually love this guy. He, he was truly like, had my best interests. But it is so intimidating to talk about something that you're not prepared to talk about. That's the nature of role playing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it does get easier the more you practice it and the more you do it. But I think, And again, unless you want to just keep trying it out on sales calls, I think that's the road I kind of took with travel. I think I would have had more success would I have stepped outside of my comfort zone. And again, we're all travel agents. We're all going through the same stuff. We've all heard different things, but we've all heard similar things at the same time. I think this industry has a lot to offer. And typically what I find and why I love this industry so much is that people tend to help. They tend to want to help each other, especially the people in our network. So role-playing and practicing and just getting comfortable hearing the objection. You take away its power when you when you practice it, I think. When you like kind of position yourself in a way to handle it environment. That's no, oh, I missed out on $5,000. <laughs> uh, how am I going to pay my rent type of thing? Now it's just like, yeah, Jen thought my pitch was... So now I have to adjust it and get back to her on it. You know what I mean? Like instead of it being a lost sale, it could be just a constructive feedback situation.
0: I was just going to say, you mentioned if you want to practice on a phone call, just realize that every phone call that you quote unquote feel like you're practicing on, there's an opportunity cost for it. There's a price tag to the practice. So Yeah. yeah, I think that I just wish I would have practiced a lot more in a different way because I became more vulnerable to flexing to what the client needed because I wasn't solid in what I was presenting all the time. And I think that's a cost
1: too. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. It just, it, it enlightens you in so many ways, especially again, if we were members of hosts, like we have tons of Asians underneath us, there was so many opportunity to get together with somebody else in practice. But of course I would have never done that. And here you, here I am saying I would do it now, but but that's
0: why we do this podcast. That's why Teague started. I, I always feel like I have to remind people when I'm like, we didn't do this. And I'm like, <laughs> we're being honest. <laughs> <laughs> we're being honest on the failures because in retrospect, the things that we'd done differently and hold on tight because there's a there's an episode coming where we just kind of spill our emotions on everything we would have done differently. But we're Thinking of tools and things that would have empowered us to do things differently, and that's the fuel to the fire with teak. Everything we do is fueled by failure.
1: <laughs> like yeah. it, it is. A timeline. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: my god! You know, I don't think we're afraid to say it because it is relatable to many people. Here are the tools we wish we'd had. This is the thing we wish we'd known, and. We've taken a step back and they always say like hindsight is twenty twenty. And I do think that not being in the weeds allows you to see things in a different light. And when you are so busy, you're never going to think, I wish I would be role-playing more. Like that's just not, or like I need to really nail down my pitch. When the sales are coming and coming and coming, it probably feels like you don't need to fine-tune your pitch. I think the better question is, are you able to confidently, well, the better questions are, are you able to confidently handle objections with ease? Are you getting the right clients consistently? And what is your intake to close percentage rate? And that requires some metrics analysis that I think a lot of people don't keep a lead log and actually do the metrics on. And then think, okay, here's a note. Why didn't it come through? We don't always know why it didn't come through. But sometimes I do feel like you know more than you let
1: yourself believe. Typically, like I could walk into a sales call and get a vibe from the person right away that they were going to be a client or they weren't. It was like Mm -hmm. all about body language. That's why, granted, after COVID, I was like, I think I might go back to phone calls. But I never did because you can read a lot on video calls that you can't on phone calls. And I think sales becomes a lot more I would argue, and again, I didn't track conversion rates when I was booking, but I would argue that conversion rates on a video call are significantly higher than on a phone call. Just because, I mean, face to, you're putting a face to the person and the personality and it's just, and now we like video content. Like we really do like video content as like a society. So I don't know. I think that would be really interesting. Think about like,
0: okay, so hypothetically, Robin, like let's think of if you were on a phone call with two people that were getting married, so engaged couple, and you tell them your fee, and there's a pause, but you're on the phone, you don't have camera, and you don't know how to take the pause, but they could be looking at each other and doing like the hmm, that's not bad nod to each other, or they might be doing the that's not in the budget <laughs> so you really do have a lot to gain from using camera mm-hmm. but i do think like this is another thing to add to that role playing how do you feel about i think that if you're going to if you're going to sell face to face you got to role play face to face because we wear our emotions so obviously more than we re- would like to you know think
1: no times. 100% you do your face the way your eyes light up your inflection when you're talking to somebody all of that goes into you processing their message. Like it's not just what their words are. It's that's how you can tell sarcasm. Like I am like literally mm-hmm. the queen of sarcasm, but it's like, you can tell when I'm being sarcastic versus when I'm not because of my tone. So, and like the way that I am in my body language and all of that. So I agree. It's, if you're going to practice, practice the way you're doing it. We used to say that in sports all the time. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to practice doing it the wrong way. You're going to practice doing it the way you would in a game. So Similar with sales, you are kind of in a game, if you will. It is. There's a winner and there's a loser. I mean, yeah. and we want to be winners. And granted, you're not people. always be a winner. It's okay to like walk away and not have. You don't need to close every sale. I feel like a lot of people, it's put so much pressure on themselves to close every single sale. But it gets easier when, like we talked about in the beginning, like you're kind of like weeding people out in the beginning of the process. If fees are commonly an issue for your you're constantly battling objections. The first thing I would do would be adding a line to my inquiry form that says, "I by clicking this box, I acknowledge that there is a $500 fee associated with booking travel with me. And you must click the little checkbox that says, I agree in order to submit the form. You know what I mean? Like, There's so mm-hmm. many things. If you don't like sales and you don't like closing or you don't feel confident closing over the phone, there's ways to weed people out on the front end. It will take your your forms down. So it's like yeah. a matter of where would you rather lose people in the process? Are you the type of personality who feels like you could capture more people by exposing your personality? Or would you rather protect your peace a little bit and then only get on with the people who are bought in completely? Because I know I know both ways. I had a colleague who was like, I just need to talk to him. And I'm more confident with that than I am anything else. Whereas me, I'm like, I don't love taking my time for people who are wait wasting it. They're not wasting it. They're learning about it, but there may not be a fit. Yeah. I can't overcome you not being a fit for my process or the way I do my business where she (laughs) felt that she could do it, her personality. So it's just, everybody's different, but those are also easier ways to, instead of getting on like a, Ooh, this is make or break playing the Eminem in the background pre-call to pump yourself (laughs) up. It could just be like a, Hey, Here's the process. Do you have any questions? Cool. Here's my invoice. And they're like, sweet, paying for it right now. Let's get started immediately, sort of situation.
0: I think that people that are focused on the close aren't servicing the sale afterward many times. Mm -hmm. And that's like that's where the the whole conversation of sales gets really muddy. Is that anytime you listen to a sales training or something like that, it's like, get them to always be closing and you're getting them to close. And it's like, okay, well, that sounds great. But like that person can't be resentful from me when I don't deliver XYZ afterward. It needs to be authentically you. And then your services need to be as high quality through and through. When someone will go to the car, just because it's been, you know, the whole conversation. If someone's buying the car, the end game is them driving off the lot usually. Then after that, it's all more of the manufacturer's issue if there's an issue, but it's rarely the salesman that's going to be accountable for how the car drives. I think grain of salt when you're listening to anyone outside the industry about a sales process and any non-service related sales approach. That's where it becomes really important is if you're going to listen to advice about sales, make sure they are following up after the sale, and they are responsible for servicing that sale. Otherwise, it's probably not the same approach that you're going to want to take. You are ultimately responsible for everything that this fee represents afterwards.
1: And somebody else's style maybe isn't your style. That one yeah. girl like, again, let me pitch to a million people. This is where I thrive. And I'm going to close more people that way because people want to work with me because people want to work with people. Whereas I'm like, I'm going to pitch better if I'm pitching to three really qualified prospects because I'm going to put my all into your conversation versus let me just throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. If somebody's offering you, you have to be comfortable with the process. You have to know Mm -hmm. yourself enough to know where do you shine? Like, do you shine on the sales call? If so, lower your barrier to entry. If you don't shine on the sales call or it doesn't, you don't like doing sales calls as much, more barriers to entry, more Mm -hmm. questions on your inquiry call. Make them jump through one extra hoop to ensure that they are qualified and in need of your services truly and an interested buyer versus, you know, not. So every sales, even with this, every sales approach should be different. Like Jen said, I think that's such an important point to make.
0: If you haven't listened to our episode on tailoring your sales approach, we definitely recommend doing so. Episode 26 is why tailoring your sales approach is key for business success. And episode 31 is how to articulate what you do as a modern day travel advisor. If you're listening to this and you're like, I need context for all the other things that you're discussing. Episode 26, episode 31, go hit play immediately. And we hope those... We hope those episodes help you out. Yeah. All right. If you are listening to this at the time of release, you have tuned in at the perfect time. We are providing you with a sales objections playbook through the link in our show notes. This is a freebie that you're going to want to snag and immediately copy and paste right into your email templates for future use. And then also role play them with colleagues (laughs) so that you are comfortable on your sales pitch. If you ever struggle with the words to use when clients push back on your process, this is the perfect download for you. Head to the link in the show notes to snag your copy and handle every objection with ease.
1: Thank you for joining another TikToks episode. If you're loving the content, we'd love and appreciate your support and feedback. So head on over to Apple Podcasts, hit subscribe so you never miss when an episode drops. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. We're sending you a long distance cheers because you just finished another episode of Teek Talk.
0: If you loved what you heard, hit subscribe and head over to the show notes for any resources and a summary of this episode.
1: In the meantime, if you want more access to us, we are personally inviting you to join our Niche by teak community where we host live events, answer your questions, share destination masterclasses, and give you a front row seat to all the resources that we launch throughout the year.
0: Plus, what's better than being surrounded by like-minded advisors that are hyping
1: you up to succeed each day? We think nothing. Head over to www.teakhq.com backslash niche to join the community today.